Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Good morning. As you can see, I am not in the room with you guys. So what happened was that uh, the elders had asked me to bring the word today. And I thought, sure, I can do that. Um, because of the men's retreat, a lot of the leaders are going to be out of town this weekend. So, And then I realized that Jeremy and I were going to be somewhere between here and South Dakota on the tail end of our vacation. So I thought, well, we can do a video. So that's what we're doing today. And actually, it's probably for the best for you guys because um, then that way I can edit out any awkward pauses or uh, rabbit trails. So um, because full disclosure, I am terrified of public speaking. Um, but I really do believe that the Lord has some good word for us today. Uh, so we're just going to get started and we're going to have a good time with it. All right. So if you don't have a Bible or if you need one today, go ahead and raise your hand and someone will come around and, um, give one to you. And if you don't have your own Bible at home or, or need a Bible, um, feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Um, so the original plan at this time was to be going through a sermon series through the book of Galatians. Now, obviously, things change. There's lots of stuff happening around here. So um, the the plan changed overall, but I went ahead and kept with my, uh, my Galatians scriptures because I really liked where it was headed. Um, <clears throat> so today we're going to be focusing on Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Um, if we gave you a Bible, it's page 971. Um, and when I first saw the assignment, I was like, three verses, that's not going to give me much at all, right? But I was so wrong. It's got some amazing, rich, just content and um, just some awesome, um, uh, I can't think of the word, some uh, rich content and some great encouragement for us. And um, I'm just really excited about sharing it this morning. Um, so we're going to be using the word gospel quite a bit. And um, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what the gospel is. So I, I want to go ahead and um, explain it, uh, really define it for us this morning, um, because it is going to be heavily used in what we talk about. So, um, but like any good story, we must start at the beginning. Hashtag origin story. So back in uh, the very beginning, God created the earth, right? And he created this garden on earth that was a perfect garden. And that's where the first humans, Adam and Eve, lived. And there was no separation between God and his creation in the garden. They could hear him walking around in the garden. It was just, it was an amazing place. But then one day, Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God, which is what we call sin. And what that did was that created a rift between God and man. And they were, they had to leave the garden, leave the perfect garden, and um, could never come back because of that, because of this rift that they'd created. So we're going to fast forward a couple of thousand years, and Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, the Son of God, was born to a virgin in the city of Bethlehem. Now, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, which no, no human could ever do. But then he was arrested for speaking the truth about who he was. And then he was beaten, tortured, subsequently nailed to a cross for all of our sins. He died, bridging the gap between us and God the Father. 
He paid the price for our sins. He died because we sin. So I don't know if I'm the only one, um, probably not, but I have a bit of a guilt complex. <clears throat> In fact, I hate the very idea that someone could be offended or uh, insulted or inconvenienced or even hurt because of something I did or didn't do. Um, so several months ago, I was watching my toddler niece. She was about two, two and a half at the time. And I was taking her to uh, the playground at our apartments. And this girl was obsessed with rocks, like obsessed with rocks. She would walk outside, she'd pick up a rock, she'd want to take it inside, um, take it to bed for nap time. And I'm just like, this. she just loved rocks. So when we got to the um, playground, there was a there was a large area that had just some little pebbles and and she found this rock that was about this size and she picks it up and she shows it to me i was about about three four feet away from her and what i've learned with children is that if they give you a phone you're supposed to answer it if they give you a microphone you sing into it if they give you a teacup whether it has stuff in it or not you're going to drink from it and if this child shows you a rock you better be excited about it so i did my job I was excited. I said, wow, that is the best rock I've ever seen. And then I said, why don't we put that back where you found it? And so she turns to go do that and she trips over her own feet. And I'm watching this whole thing in slow motion. She goes down kind of, kind of a, like a face first, but not face first. Like she's kind of laying down and the rock hit her in the mouth. And she starts crying immediately. I go grab her as quickly as I could. I'm consoling her. And I'm just like, I don't want to even look. I'm, I'm just thinking all of her teeth are knocked out or, or whatever, like worst case scenario. So I, uh, I assess the damage. I got her back to the apartment. I assess the damage. And um, there, thankfully, all of her teeth were still there. She had just a little cut on the inside of her lip. But I did notice that there were two chips one in each of her front teeth and I was like oh no I told my sister I said I, I think I broke your kid like I I was absolutely gut-wrenched like this kid a half an hour later she was fine she couldn't have cared less I'm pretty sure she forgot the whole thing but I was not okay when I when I gave her back to her mom I just said I just don't think I can watch her anymore I'm unworthy I didn't protect her um, every time she smiles now even now, I see those chips in her teeth and I'm like, I did that. I didn't protect her. I didn't grab the rock and put it away myself. And, and there was so much guilt. I cried for a couple of days thinking that I, I just was so unworthy because she got hurt. Now, why am I telling you this in the middle of the gospel story? Well, when we see the scars that Jesus had in his hands and in his feet and in his side, we can go one of two ways, right? Like we can, we can look at those and say, my, my humanness is, I have guilt, right? That was my fault, my sin. I am a worm. I'm the scum of the earth. I am unworthy. Or, or I can look at those scars and I can say, I can see myself in the way that he sees me, right? That, that our savior that paid the sacrifice sees me as someone who is worthy. He, he did this so that we could live with him forever. 
The fact that he did what he did for me and for you and for all mankind shows just how much he loves us. No guilt, no shame, just a loving savior who paid the price that we could never have paid on our own. But the story doesn't even end there, right? After he died, he was buried in a tomb covered by a heavy stone and even guarded by guards. But then, and this is the good part, then he conquered death, right? He raised himself back to life. Like Pastor Greg says, he emptied his own grave. Then he took the time to walk with his disciples. And then he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father until such time that he will come back down to earth riding on the clouds and take us up to, with, um, with him to glory. Now, that sounds pretty amazing, right? Well, that's the good news. Or the gospel, as, as we say. Um, those two words are the same thing. Good news and gospel. Um, so now that we have that part established, now that we know what the gospel is, I'm going to fast forward a little bit more. And we're going to meet up with a guy named Paul. Paul was a no-nonsense follower of Christ and a leader in the church. Now, his early years... You would not think that this man was ever going to even love Christ, let alone be part of the early church and building and encouraging, because he was he was a bad guy, right? He he was a persecutor of Christians. He did awful things to men, women, and children who professed Jesus. But then, just like all of us, Jesus found him and did not judge him on his past and changed him, and he went on to do so much more for the kingdom. Now, a lot of what Paul did was to go around to different churches and share the gospel, encourage them, and encourage the leaders. And several of the letters that he wrote um, to the churches and the regions became uh, some of the books in the Bible. And the letter, the, the, what we're going to read today out of Galatians, is a letter that he wrote to the region of Galatia. Now... There were some uh, pretty serious things going on in Galatia. Um, and you can tell that the tone is a little different in this letter. Um, the, the letters that he writes to the people in Corinth, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, or Rome, they all start with saying, I praise, the, I praise God for you, I praise the Lord for you. That's not how he starts Galatia. So there's something going on in Galatia, and Paul is deeply, deeply concerned. So I'm going to read for us now, Galatians 1, 6 through 9, page 971. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the message of your love to us, God. And I just pray right now as we um, sort through all these scriptures and um, all of the things that 
um, that we that we go through in, in our lives as far as trying to discern gospel and make sure that it's the truth of what we are um, what what you want for us God um, I just pray that you just be with all the hearts in this room and God we love you and it's in your name we pray amen okay so <clears throat> there's a lot going on here I'm gonna dive right into the first blank um, number one the gospel is for everyone now, we already talked about what the gospel is, and um, obviously gospel, same as the good news, which is what's used in this version. And um, to clarify that the gospel is, in fact, for everyone, there are there's a lot of places in the Bible that we could go to. This particular scripture that we're doing right now doesn't specifically say it, but it's a, it's a reality of the gospel. Um, I'm going to share with you um, two verses. The first one is in Romans. Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Now, if you are not aware, the term Jew means those of Jewish descent, and Gentile refers to literally everyone else. So we can glean from this verse that the gospel is for the Jews and the non-Jews. So, everyone. I have uh, written out, I've not written it out, but I've um, given you another scripture on your notes, Acts chapter 10. And that's another instance of where this fact is just very clear. And I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but I do want to read the last verse, which is uh, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I do really encourage you to read this whole story. It's, it's actually a really good example of unity and acceptance. And, and honestly, it's what Paul really wanted Peter to keep doing um, is accepting those that are not, um, that, the, accepting the Gentiles. So, um, but you'll know more about that if you go back and read Acts 10. Um, so the bottom line in all this is that God's path of repentance, reconciliation, and eternal reward is open to everyone everywhere. That's the purpose of the gospel, to everyone everywhere. The so second point, the gospel is enough. So in the latter part of verse 6 into verse 7, Paul talks about following a different way that pretends to be the good news but isn't. So what Paul is referring to is that these people in the region of Galatia have been following a gospel which is not the true gospel. And one of the issues that Paul was addressing was um, that he had confronted Peter, who was a disciple in the church of Antioch. And um, Peter had been doing the right thing. In, in Acts 10, it even talks about he was eating with the Gentiles and um, and basically... Whether someone followed the law or not, Peter welcomed them if they were Christ followers, right? Because when we profess the name of Jesus Christ, we are saved. It doesn't matter, you know, um, for Jew or Gentile. So he was um, accepting of all the Gentiles. And there were some religious elite, um, those that follow the law, decided, and they decided that the gospel wasn't enough. And that in order for someone to be saved... They must also abide by the law, which is in direct contradiction to the gospel. So Peter caved. 
he stopped eating and with and associating with these people. And um, it just shows you legalism is such a slippery slope. He was doing all the right things. And then these religious elites came in and said, no, you're doing it wrong because they're adding to the gospel, right? <clears throat> but Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So what this is referring to is that in the Old Testament, God gave the Jews um, laws to follow. And this is um, called the law of Moses. And Jesus coming down from heaven in human form, fulfilling the law, dying on the cross as the sacrificial lamb, which is a fulfillment of the ceremonial law, created a way for all to be saved. Because the reality is no one, nobody, not one person, could ever live a life according to the law perfectly. If we could, we wouldn't need a savior. And because we can't, we desperately need a savior. The only one who could and ever did live a perfect life is Jesus. And then he died a death that we all deserved for our sinful lives, even though he never sinned, which is again the gospel. Paul was upset, obviously. Paul was upset that Peter had given into peer pressure of the religious elite in Galatia. They believed that in order to be saved, the law, which we already just learned that the law was no longer um, applicable, uh, that it must be adhered to still. And then you have to ask the question, if you still have to follow the law, and if that's the case, then why did Jesus come at all? In the commentary by John Calvin, he says, um, for this scripture, he says that Paul charged the Galatians with the crime of doing an injury to Christ by endeavoring to subvert his gospel. Now, because Calvin uses big words, I wanted to look it up, make sure I got it right. And subvert means to undermine the power and authority of. I do not want to be on that side of the gospel. And this is why Paul was so upset. It wasn't that they were just not following it or even corrupting it. It was that they were adding to the gospel. When it's clear from the action of Christ that the gospel, his death and resurrection for the sins of all mankind is enough to save everyone. Not only is there no need to add to it, but doing so actually assumes that his sacrifice was not enough. Third point today, half gospel is false gospel. Um, Benjamin Franklin said, half a truth is often a great lie. And that's true with the gospel as much as it is for anything else. In the second part of verse 7, Paul writes, you are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Intent is kind of everything in this scripture, right? He uses the word deliberate. And in the New King James Version, it says those that want to pervert. 
so there's an agenda. You can't have deliberation. You can't have a de deliberate act without an agenda. And notice he says that they are twisting the truth. And that implies that they know the truth, that they know the gospel, and they're using it. So they aren't coming up with their own gospel. It's actually worse. And, and the reason it's worse is that because <laughs> if you have a little bit of truth, you can make a lie sound a lot more plausible. So the religious elite were judging others based on their adherence to a law that no longer applied. But they soaked just enough truth in their false gospel that it sounded complete. If Jesus' death and resurrection saved me, then surely my also following the law would make me extra saved. And those religious elites are telling me that that's the case, so it must be true, right? And we are confronted with half gospels everywhere in the evangelical world. Some are blatant and some are kind of sneaky. Confession time. I, confession time for me. I have a strange interest in the sphere of cults. Probably not something that you thought you'd hear from me today, but here I am. So I've read books, I've watched documentaries, docu-series, um, seen uh, interviews of people that have uh, survived cults. And honestly, it's fascinating to me, the psychology of a group of people following just this one person and into things that are obviously just very, very, very negative. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, and, but what's really interesting to me is that there is an underlying truth in most of these cults and it's weird saying truth and cults in the same sentence, but um, a lot of what these cults will do is that they will actually take the truth, a truth of the gospel, and that's how they sell their product, right? They're, a lot of them start in churches. They, they, um, they use the gospel to lure in their people, but then they sprinkle in all sorts of things that are just untrue. I'm going to give you an example of a pretty infamous cult, um, and it's called the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, but you might know it better as what it became, which is Jonestown. Uh, for those of you who know about Jonestown, you know how it ended. Over 900, that's a 900, people's lives were ended on November 18th of 1978. Now, the details um, about what exactly happened there, that's all on Google. I'm, I'm not going to hash into that today, but, um, but here's what's important. It didn't start out with a commune in the jungles of Guyana and Cyanide. It started in a church in Indianapolis, then later San Francisco. It started with a charismatic leader, Jim Jones, preaching love, racial equality, and that's absolutely amazing, especially considering this was in the 1960s. Jim Jones taught from the Bible. He professed Jesus as Lord. But somewhere along the line, it all went very, very wrong. It was when he combined and replaced what he called traditional Christianity with other ideologies. And then in the late 1960s, he began to promote a twisted version of the gospel. And then he himself professed to be the savior, which led him and all of his followers down an awful path. Now, I say that, and that happened in, you know, 40 some odd years ago, 
but things like that are still happening today. A lot of them, though, I've, I've seen in, in some of the um, documentaries that I, that I have watched, is that a lot of them aren't doing the traditional cult um, sphere. Like, um, they're replacing following a single person with following a single ideology. Um, and that, that was going on before, but you're seeing less, you're kind of seeing them, them even out at this point as to um, the cult of a person as opposed to the cult of an ideology. But... Um, <coughs> Uh, but one of the false gospels that we see a lot of here, um, especially since the 1980s with the televangelism, um, is the prosperity gospel. And according to the Gospel Coalition, uh, the prosperity gospel is basically a health and wealth mentality. They teach that health and wealth are the automatic divine right of all Bible-believing Christians and may be produced by faith as part of the package of salvation. Since the atonement of Christ includes not just the removal of sin, but also the removal of sickness and poverty. In my mind, I just don't know how you reconcile that with even Jesus' own words, right? So in John 16:33, this is Jesus speaking. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In the prosperity mentality, much of the time it's taught that God has promised us a life free from worry or struggle. But even Jesus' own words refute that. And what God does want for us is to have peace. That's different. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be rich or even healthy. Because we, we live in a broken world. And the idea, the idea that you can send a preacher a couple thousand dollars and you'll be healed or get rich, it's just so false and part of their agenda. And that's the deliberate nature of this type of gospel, this type of false gospel, is them telling you something um, that you're going to be blessed because God does want to bless us. That's that's the part of that truth. You're, you'll be blessed if you send me a thousand dollars, right? That's the deliberate and uh, agenda. So, <coughs> sorry. So the truth that they are using is that Jesus came and died for the sins of all mankind, which is true. And the way that they're twisting it is that they conclude that Jesus also came, so that Bible-believing Christians should never be sick or lack wealth. Like I said, it's true that God does want to bless us. And there's, I mean, there's so many scriptures that talk about God's blessings and um, giving examples of how God's blessing um, his people. Um, but sometimes his blessings come in ways that we just don't expect. So why is this type of false gospel dangerous? Why is specifically the prosperity gospel dangerous? Well, those leading and preaching the prosperity gospel could certainly just be doing it for financial gain. Obviously, <coughs> Obviously, not all do, but there are some, I'm sure. Um, but the real danger is for those that are hearing this gospel, in, in my opinion, um, because things will go wrong. And if, if you've been hearing that you're a Bible-believing Christian, you will always be, you will never be sick, you will never be poor. Um, but when things go wrong, how will that shake your faith when bad things happen? Because it's bound to happen. Jesus even said you will have trials and tribulations. So in your mind, you're saying, well, I'm supposed to be healthy. I'm supposed to be wealthy. So 
either A, I've done something to make God mad and he's punishing me, or B, God's not real because I've done everything right and I'm still having hard times. And what this kind of tells us is that it really matters what God you're presenting to people and that the gospel that you're presenting is the real gospel. So, <coughs> sorry. For those of you who are on Facebook or Twitter, YouTube, um, I'm going to show you a couple images, um, especially if you haven't been on these um, social media platforms because you probably haven't seen these before. Um, but there's a couple of images I want to show you. Um, this one, uh, God says only 1% of very lucky people will watch this. Seems legit. Uh, second one, and these are uh, YouTube video thumbnails, these two. Skipping this is a victory for Satan. God wants you to watch this now. This one's awesome. Uh, this one's on Facebook a lot. <clears throat> My people will not share and listen to you. My people will type amen and share. I think that checks out. And this is probably my favorite one. Comment amen to resurrect Jesus. One ignore equals one disrespect. Like, I can't even put into words how inaccurate these things are. I know that my Savior doesn't need me to like or share something to empty, his out, empty out his own grave. <laughs> right? So these, these are things what I like to call uh, uh, social media gospel, which I don't know if anybody else calls it that, but I do. But I, I think what they're thinking Jesus is is this particular picture here because we all know that uh, Jesus has an iMac and he's checking out to see who posted things so he can bless them accordingly I just it, it uses the truth of Jesus loving us and wanting to bless us and being the only path to resurrect restoration and then adding that you either have to watch a video click like share to cash in on those blessings and Again, why is this dangerous? It's harmless, right? No, I, I, why is this dangerous? Because one, it can lead people into believing that all they have to do to be saved is click like and share. Two, if you watch the videos and you click the likes and you share the shares and you post and you do all these things, but you still have hardships, how will that shake your faith? This is the wrong Jesus to be promoting. Now, obviously, Facebook, Twitter, all those places are great places to um to share and spread the real gospel so keep doing that i've i've seen i think i'm friends with some of you guys on facebook and i see that all the time and that's that's awesome that's what we need to be doing finding people where they are and sharing the gospel these things aren't it so so how can you tell if you're being taught a false gospel so thankfully for me so i didn't have to do the work on my own john piper did a sermon back in 2014 and he was specifically talking about how to tell if you're being taught a prosperity gospel but i think that a majority of these things um, to look out for they also apply to other false gospels as well so i'm going to read his list i have some uh, just some explanations for each one there's six things on his list number one the absence of serious doctrine of the biblical necessity and normalcy of suffering the absence of a doctrine of suffering Basically, this is the idea, they're presenting you the idea that you will not have any problems in your life, which is directly in conflict with Jesus' own words. Number two, the absence of a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial. There is no I in gospel, right? To be clear, though, you are valued. You are loved beyond measure, and you are enough because Christ is enough. All of that is true, and also 
God is the only one who truly knows what's best for you. You may think that you would just be happy if you got that new job or made more money, but the reality is that if you are content with the things the way that they are, and you have peace in that, and you maybe deny your sometimes selfish wants and desires, you can see all of your blessings. And it's okay to ask. We ask for big, big things because God is a big God. But know that God has a plan for you. And sometimes your plans and his plans don't match. And let me tell you, God's plan is better. Number three, the absence of serious exposition of scripture. I think this one kind of goes without saying, but if you aren't being told context, like you have your coffee cup verses that they just spout out, um, or if there's no depth in the scriptures, something is off. Number four, the absence of dealing with tensions in scripture. The Bible is not just Proverbs, right? It's not white fluffy clouds all the time. It also has, it also contains battles, arguments, famine, drought, annihilations, adultery, murder, etc., etc. If leaders stay away from the hard stuff, they are doing you a disservice. Honestly, learning about these things, they, they better help us to deal with our daily lives and our daily struggles, how to problem solve, how to forgive, how to overcome grief and have peace in Jesus. Number five, church leaders who have exorbitant lifestyles. Obviously, this one is kind of self-explanatory and kind of goes directly in line with the prosperity gospel. Um, but <clears throat> I do want to note that obviously this one, you don't want to judge a book by its cover. There could be several reasons why a leader would be wealthy and it would be on un maybe unrelated to prosperity gospel maybe they just inherited money or you know, who knows but we don't want to judge anybody and assume that a wealthy leader is because of a prosperity gospel teaching um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth um, but if you couple that along with some or the rest of this list, an exorbitant lifestyle might mean that they're using the prosperity gospel to their financial advantage. So number six, a prominence of self and marginalization of the greatness of God. I just think of this as when you forget to finish Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things. Oh, right, through Christ, right? And if a leader is constantly teaching you that you are special and that you can do it, but then neglects to mention that it is not you, but Christ who lives in you. They aren't you doing you any favors, right? Yes, you are special to Jesus. He suffered and died for you. You are loved beyond measure. You are important. But we have nothing, and we are nothing without Jesus. And if that's not clear, then there's something wrong in that gospel that you're hearing. So what this all boils down to, really, is that we need to be careful to know what we are being taught and that it's the true gospel. Being under someone's teaching that twists the gospel even a little bit can be super dangerous. And that brings me to my last point. Rely on truth, not credentials. In, <coughs> in uh, both verses 8 and 9, Paul addresses this. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches other, any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. 
If you rely on a man or a woman to be your sole hub of the gospel, you can be led astray very easily. It doesn't matter what someone's credentials are like. They could have been a pastor for 30 years or been to seminary, taught thousands of people. I mean, Jim Jones was an ordained minister. They're still human, and they still can have their own agendas. And I think what Paul is really trying to get across is that it doesn't matter who is talking. The gospel is the gospel. And if anyone thinks that they can add to it or change it because of a title or education, they are not only mistaken, but Paul uses the word cursed. And then he says it twice. And usually when there's scripture that has something repeated, that's important. And so as long as you stick to the truth of the gospel, you're fine. So finally, now that we know what the gospel is for, who the gospel is for, uh, what it is, how it should be presented, that it should never be twisted. So how do we know what the true gospel is? And honestly, this is kind of the simplest I could think. Read your Bible. Study the gospel. It's, it's really difficult for you to be led astray if you know the truth. And that's with anything. If, if you know... Um, you know your thing. You know the truth of something. If someone comes out to you and tells you a lie about it, you're going to know that, that your, your alarms are going to go off and you're going to say, that's not true. And that's the same thing with the gospel. If you study your Bible, study, and, and don't just read it, study. And um, you will know when something, when someone says something to you that is not true, um, you're going to know it. That's the easiest way to know whether or not you're being taught the truth. Um, and then with doing that, it's easier for you to answer questions, not only to yourself, but to other people, sharing the gospel, sharing the true gospel, um, which is what we're supposed to be doing. So obviously, <coughs> sorry. So obviously the answer is to get in the word, but don't just read it. Like I said, study it and study it with multiple versions. We use the NLT here. I grew up with the New King James Version. Um, I was watching uh, the Bible Project, and they had this video, Why Are There Multiple Versions? And they said it in a way that was so simple to me, but yet something that I had never thought of is that a language being translated from one to another, it's not going to be exact, right? So translating from um, the uh, Hebrew or the Greek to English, they're going to have some some nuances within that, that uh, translation. So if you put different versions side by side, you're going to pick up on different little nuances. Now, it doesn't mean that, that any of them are, are false. I mean, there's some strange versions out there. If you find some that are tested, um, your uh, NIVs, your NLTs, all, you know, if you, if you read along with those, you'll probably pick up on some nuances in the scripture that just really help you to um, even understand it better. And I um, just really encourage you to do that because becoming an expert, an expert in the gospel is an eternal investment. And it's an investment into the people's lives around you as well as you go and share the gospel to them. So um, thank you for having been here today. I'm going to pray for us. And um, then whatever else happens after I'm done is going to happen. So um, anyways, I'm going to pray for us and um, we'll go from there. Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you love us. God, we are so humbled by that. 
And Lord, we we just thank you for your um, your your grace and your mercy towards us. Lord, just let us be um, hungry for your word. Let us be um, make make the time, myself included, Lord. Let us just all make the time. Uh, to spend in your word, to know it inside and out so that we can spot when there's something just not right. Um, Because we don't want to be uh, teaching false gospels. We don't want to be twisting any of your word, God. Um, We thank you for um, having strong leadership in in the gospel here at um, Foundation. And God, I just pray that you continue that. And um, just, I thank you for every person here today. Lord, I just pray that you give them the hunger for your word as well. And we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.